0: Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here today. Great to have you all here. Um, I was just down the front um, remarking with Julian, like, I've, I've been looking, me and Nina have been looking at this passage for months now, just chatting and seeing it through. And you can sit there and not tell anyone anything. And then all through the morning, everything comes to point to what we're talking about. Um, And Julian's remark was wonderful. It's almost like there's a God, isn't it? Isn't it? Which I think is wonderful. As as Julian said... um, we are, we're having a, a, a tag preach this morning, which means I'm going to be um, finishing things off, and Nina's going to be uh, bringing the word to start with for us. Um, which is, and uh, Nina's been doing a great deal of work with me on some theological projects, and one of them's been looking at Philippians 3, which is where we are this morning. So I'm going to read it to us. If you want to find it in your Bible, um, it's between Ephesians and Colossians. Have a look, dig it out. Um, and it will come up on the screen as well. Uh, I'm going to read that, then I'll pray, and then I'll hand over to Nina. It says this, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord's, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my prize the goal promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await await for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is, you know, this this isn't a book that contains the words of God. This, this, is, this is the word of God. This is what God has spoken. It's what you've spoken to us, Lord. It's your truth. And I pray for us this morning that through Nina and me that you would be opening things up to us. Help all of us here, Lord, to hear what you want us to hear this morning, to hear the truth that you want us to hear this morning. And I pray that by your spirit you'd be doing that work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Nina.
0: Hi, good morning. For those who don't know me, um, I'm Nina and I'm a member here at Billingshurst Family Church. Um, I'm married to Simon. Um, Yeah, as Craig was just saying, every time somebody said something, they thought, oh, pinch pinched that bit. Rach pinched a bit and somebody else pinched a bit. Um, But that's brilliant, isn't it? As Craig said. So today I've got the privilege of um, sharing with you another look at our series on joy or what Jesus offers you. Um, Today's passage follows on from Russell and Craig's preach on working out our salvation from back in November. Uh, And today, Paul is once again advising his beloved Philippians, uh, Philippian fellow Christians. In these verses, he urges them to keep rejoicing and persevering in their faith, whilst also heeding them to be aware of the false teachings that they were receiving, that they were demanding them to put their confidence in something useless, and they were at risk of taking a terrible detour from the truth. It is so easy to put our confidence in the wrong thing, isn't it? This got me thinking back to when I first started work and a situation where I realised more and more how I needed the right stuff to get on uh, and the conflict that arose um, as a result of not having it. As some of you may know, I started my career in publishing at Condé Nast magazines in Hanover Square in London. This prestigious high-end company started in 1915 by a Manhattan social climber. Um, And he once famously said that the publisher, the editor, the advertising manager, and the circulation man must conspire not only to get all their readers from one particular class, but rigorously to exclude all others. This just gives you an an idea of the um, ethos that was uh, very elite at the company. Uh, Although some time had passed between 1915 and the year I started, uh, it was still a culture shock for the girl from up north, the daughter of a civil engineer and a housewife. Here I saw firsthand the power and lure of having the right credentials and the preferential treatment um, uh, 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 that came from having them and also the limitations of not having them. I think I initially got the job because the head of the department that I applied to had come from a similar background to mine and perhaps she felt an affinity with this newbie. Um, As a now 50-something, she had long fought to gain a place on the board um, and that had to overcome many hurdles in order to even be considered. No one could deny that she ran her team hard and got brilliant results. She dressed impeccably. She had her hair and nails done twice a week. Uh, On the outside, she looked very much the part, but she was never really let in on the inner sanctum and remained an outsider. It was obvious that she didn't really fit, and I'm sure her working life was made much more challenging as a result of it. Her heavy Leeds accent was often the butt of jokes, not only of her peers, but also of those much junior than her who worked for her. How awful it must have been for her to try to fit a rigid set of ideals set out by someone that was not based on any capabilities, but her inherited class, something that was impossible to reset. I learned pretty early on that I didn't want to uh, follow her career path. Um, I wanted to fit in properly and have the access all areas passed to desirable jobs and invitations to uh, celebrity functions, But more than that, I wanted credibility and to have the same career opportunities as my colleagues. But for that, it felt like I needed the right surname, preferably double-barreled, a a ring with a family crest on it, um, a degree from a particular place, and to reside in one of a few select postcodes. These things at face value didn't show any evidence of one's talent or work ethic or character but they did matter here for career progression. I got a thrill every time I answered the phone and said, hello, this is Nina from Vogue. And I was willing to gain a way in however possible. I would have happily played my trump card of being directly descended from Greek royalty, like my nan had always claimed, but the evidence was flimsy at best. And so instead, I stuck closely to those who had inherited the right credentials. And to a certain extent, I did fake who I was until I took a job at a rival firm. I'm sure things have moved on since then. And I've certainly, since leaving there, never experienced anything similar. I think we often feel that as Christians, too, we have to act or be a certain way. We enter ourselves needlessly into an invisible league table of Christianness. feeling that we have to satisfy a number of religious requirements in order to be authentic or a credible believer. We might hope that God notices our really good run of attendance on a Sunday or that we've signed up to a heap of serving rotors. We might think that someone who comes from a family line of prestigious preachers might count for something and get some extra Christian points. Or fear that one type of gifting or spiritual experience trumps another In its godliness, when we compare ourselves to our Christian friends. In Paul's intro to the Philippians, he has strong words to say regarding them putting their faith and confidence in anything other than finding joy in Him alone who is able to provide it, and not a set of legal requirements or actions that are reliant on us. And in this case, it was circumcision. In the first two chapters of Philippians, Paul has already glorified Jesus as God. Saviour, Example, and Lord. And so the natural directive, therefore, in the first line, is to rejoice in the Lord who is all these things. But it appears that Paul is needing to share this message again, having done so already, but it, it was obviously needed, as Paul is at pains to say it's no trouble for him to share it again, and it's vital for them to hear it, and so it must be for us too. At that time in Philippi, a rogue element of Jewish Christian legalists were teaching a direct contradiction to him alone and were claiming that in order to be a true Christian, in addition to being saved by grace, one had to be circumcised first, thus maintaining Jewish custom and then becoming a bona fide Jewish Christian. They were putting pressure on the Philippians and Paul is incensed at this attempt to dupe and coerce them into thinking that they had to perform a necessary action in order to receive salvation. And he condemns them as dogs and evildoers, He's desperate that they don't put their confidence in any other special credentials of preferential birthright or righteousness through the flesh, and for them to realize their identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Special credentials may have benefited those in the world of high-end publishing, but they're useless to eternal life. Sadly, at that time, I didn't even give eternity a second thought. I was mostly preoccupied with the activities of the approaching weekend. Anyway... When Paul says in verse 3, we are the circumcision, he's separating the physical act or condition with the true identification of being one with Christ. In Romans, Paul writes, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you've become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. He is calling out the notion that a mark on the body alone cannot possibly stand up in comparison to what Jesus offered. The old covenant has gone. Jesus is the new, and our hope in him is beyond anything that the world can offer. The Philippians were at risk of being deceived that as long as they looked right, i.e. circumcised, then they had the mark of membership. Paul continues to say, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Instead, Jesus wants us to know him, his power, his righteousness, and our place as as saved as a result of what he has done. For it's by grace we have been saved. This is the mark of membership. When Paul talks about a circumcision of the heart, this is a spiritual inward change only made possible by God and is the mark of a person born again. This is clear when we also read in Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amazingly for them, and for us all, God does not require any kind of special credentials from us, and they do not count for anything when offered to God as evidence of our earning of salvation. Paul himself was the highest caliber of Jew. He ticked all the boxes. Breeding, education, circumcised, zealous in faith. But no matter how impressive one's upbringing or bloodline or orthodoxy, you cannot earn salvation. Paul doesn't share his exceptional credentials here to boast, but instead to expose the falsehood of what they could deliver. And we need to be alert to similar falsehoods today. Perhaps it's listening to tele preaching a prosperity gospel that equates donation size with salvation, or a subtle misrepresentation of the message wrapped up in popular mysticism, such as a reliance on a special prayer shawl or anointed oils. It can seem like we're always craving a a deeper experience and it can be tempting to think that these things may provide what we're searching for, but really they are just deceptive and can only lead in one direction, away from God. Jesus went to the cross for our salvation, so let's nurture the right attitude towards him and refuse to rely on ourselves. If we rely on anything worldly, including ourselves, we lose the blessing and swap it for something useless. Paul does not say these things are a bit important or a bit of use. He says they're worth nothing, and he counts them as loss. They can even become a barrier to our really knowing Christ and his power and our being able to lay claim to it and the prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us up to heaven. Paul is humble in admitting he's by no means perfect, and cannot, through his own righteousness, lay claim to anything. Let us not be duped, for Jesus alone offers it all. He gives us, through his death, any credential we would ever need. We need to pursue that and cling to it and not let it out of our grip, so that we avoid the pitfalls of playing fast and loose with God's word, so we don't misunderstand the gospel, and it doesn't lead to ungodliness and a shunning of Jesus. And let's not think like Ricky Gervais, who at this year's Oscars challenged his audience of famous actors not to be offended by his risque monologue because we're all going to die soon and there's no sequel, so nothing matters. Well, there is actually an eternal promised prize at stake and the only one able to secure it deserves our constant attention and devotion. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Nina.
1: Yeah, thank you, Nina. Thank you as well for all the support you've given me uh, as we've been preparing this. Um, it's been uh, really, really helpful. Um, so Paul has spoken about this, the foolishness of trying to attain salvation, trying to get it for yourself, um, or trying to get this like this extra special type of salvation. You know, yeah, yeah, there's, there's that, but then, then this is the really good stuff. You know, it's... it's He's just saying it's foolishness by any other means than that of Jesus. Putting our trust anywhere other than Jesus is foolishness. And as Nina's shared, you know, Paul counts his heritage, the outward marks of being part of the people of God and keeping the food laws, all that stuff, he counts it as dung compared to all that he has in Christ. It's utterly meaningless to him now because of all that Jesus has done for him. Paul talks about the greater thing being knowing Jesus himself and seeking to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection, to walk with Jesus in suffering and to know the resurrection from the dead for himself. Now, he seems to think of this resurrection. He doesn't grasp how God's going to do it. He doesn't understand it. He says, like, it's a mystery. I don't, I don't get it. Um, but he doesn't deny it. He recognizes his own humble position before an almighty God. And sometimes we wonder how God's going to do something in our lives, um, like how, how's He going to bring breakthrough? What's he going to do? What's that going to look like? How's that going to work out? Or, or he's, he's told us he's gonna, we're going to do something. He's got something for us to do. How am I going to do that? How's that going to happen? And in those times, it's often better just to accept that God is going to do something. He is going to break through. The whys and the what-fors actually don't really matter to us. We need to have faith in Almighty God. It's often like when, when in times of change or transition. I don't... I, okay, I feel like God you're telling me to do this, but I don't know how you're going to do it. Or, you know, will you, be, will you be faithful to me? Will you do what you've... Will you come through for me? I don't know if you will. Um, And and in those times, we just have to go, uh, okay, well, God is faithful. That's truth. God is faithful. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but I'm going to walk the path you've set for me to walk. One of the more complicated bits we've heard in this passage is when Paul's talking about taking hold of the goal. He seems to be speaking about resurrection, and, and obviously he's yet to encounter resurrection since he hasn't died. Um, at this point of writing the letter, it would be amazing if he had and uh, was writing it from the grave. And Jesus is yet to return, so Paul hasn't encountered resurrection yet. But he's, and he's fully aware that he's yet to take hold of perfection. You know, he realizes he's not perfect. Paul, as much as we might venerate him and think how wonderful he is, he wasn't perfect. He got things wrong, just like you and me. None of us are perfect. And Paul just reminds me of us. You know, we aren't perfect. And as far as I'm aware, none of us have seen the fullness of resurrection in our own lives. You know, not in the biblical sense. Is anyone, is anyone in their new body? Yeah? Has anyone complete? Has anyone got a perfect body in Christ? I know I haven't. Um, and Paul, though, is still on this journey of discovering the fullness. Of Christ in his life. And he's got some advice for the readers of this letter, um, which will come up in a moment. Do excuse me, I have slightly altered it to say to us what I think God is saying to us uh, this morning. It says, forget what's behind and reach forward to what is ahead. Pursue as your goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. In the letter itself, Paul is saying this is what he has done. I've, he says, I've, I'm forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling, Christ Jesus. But I think this is what he's saying to us. This is what God would say to us through these verses. This is what we are to do. You know, We're yet to attain either resurrection or perfect holiness, you know, perfection that will come at our resurrection. But we are called to pursue that which Jesus offers us, what Jesus offers you. We're called to lives that are lived in the fullness of all that Jesus offers us. Which means that lives are lived in accordance with the life of Jesus, lives of holiness. Now we know we're we're saved by grace alone, aren't we? Saved by grace alone. And I believe that we live our lives by that very same grace and mercy. We will fail to measure up to his holy perfection. But nonetheless, that's the race that we are called to run in. Our lives as believers are ones compared to Jesus' holy perfection. And by the grace and mercy of God, we run in that race. Paul says that all mature believers are to think like he does, pursuing holiness in their lives through living in accordance with Jesus and and his teachings. In reality, we will never attain perfect holiness because we go after it, because we pursue it or earn it. anything like that, but we will be rewarded with it because by God's grace, we are justified by him. We are seen as righteous. We are made righteous by him in the end. As believers then, we strive to run the race with perseverance as the author of the letter to the Hebrews tells us because as we do that, we discover the beauty of sanctification. That's the process that we go through in life that is completed when Christ returns, when we are raised in resurrection bodies like him. And through life, we become more like Jesus. We certainly should be becoming more like Jesus. In in this life, we should steadily come closer to the holiness of justification that God has given us. It's his gift to us. It's not us earning it, but we still have a life to lead that is becoming more and more like Jesus. And this might seem too big for us to grasp, and we might even be afraid of failing to live up to it. But the reality is that his grace is sufficient for us, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. And so we keep going. We're all running the races that God has marked out for us. All our finish lines, this side of heaven, will be at different points. We'll be at different stages of sanctification or whatever as, we, as when we die. All, we're all in different stages. we we'll all have different calls. But in the end, all those who are saved will attain holiness, will receive perfection as our prize, perfection that leads to an eternity in the presence of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The race may seem pointless or futile to you, not worth carrying on in. Sometimes it can feel like we're climbing like one of these rotating climbing walls. you have got the photo there. Yeah, it can feel like if you don't climb fast enough, the panic can set in. So if you don't climb fast enough, you're just going to fall off the bottom. Yeah. But the key is that you just keep going. Just keep climbing. Don't worry. Just keep going. Just keep climbing. Just keep climbing. It's okay. Keep going. Don't fall off the bottom. If you keep keep climbing, you won't fall off the bottom. In reality, say the key thing is to just keep going. And Paul calls us to the very same. Keep going. Don't give up. God is your strength whether you feel strong or weak. Lean on him, hold on to him, and do not let go no matter what. You might be sitting there going, Craig, why should I just keep going? My life isn't matching up to the fullness of Christ. It's not, I'm not managing it. I'm not having a good time at the moment. Life's a bit rubbish. Well, we keep going because he's promised you victory in the end. It's a race you can endure. You can get through it. It's a race you will complete. A race with the most amazing prize at the end of it, that of eternal life. You're guaranteed that prize if you persevere, if you're saved. You will finish the race and be rewarded as the winner. You don't come to the end of the race and go, well done, you got a good third. Because third won't cut it. You need first. You need to win the race. Yeah? That's how we get in the kingdom. And it's Christ who's given us that first place. We get awarded that even though uh, we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. But just because you know you're going to win the race, does that stop you from running? Does that mean you should stop running and training because you know you're going to win anyway? I've crossed crossed the line. Great, I have to do nothing else now. I can carry on with my life and do exactly what I please uh, because uh, I've got salvation. That's not the life we're called to. Part of the reality of our prize is knowing that you've, you've carried on through the storms. It's like with a boxer, all right? A boxer, might, the bookies might be out saying, oh, it's a sure thing, he's going to win it. That We know that's going to happen. Does the boxer then go, oh, cool, the bookies have said I'm going to win. One foot. I'm just going to sit down. I've got six weeks of training left. I'm just going to relax, chill out. No, that's not what the boxer does. If he does, he doesn't do very well, as we might have seen recently. Um, They train all the harder. Just because our victory is assured, it doesn't mean we rest on our laurels. It doesn't mean we just hit the chill button, chill out till the end, just cruise through. No, we press on even harder, ever harder, seeking to live this life in a way that pleases our Saviour, in a way that gives us not just victory, but treasures in heaven. So Paul calls the readers of this letter to imitate him. Elsewhere he writes that we're to follow him as he follows Jesus. You know, we too, like this first century Philippians, are called to follow those who are mature in faith. Who around you is mature in faith? Who could you imitate or learn from, like a spiritual father or mother? And how do we know who are the mature Christians in our midst? You know, it might seem strange hearing it from me, but let me remind all of us that age is no indicator of maturity in Christ. Mature Christians are the ones living their lives in accordance with Jesus' teaching. They're the ones who live lives of holy humility. When we look for mature Christians, let us look for the ones who remind us of the apostles, people like Paul and Peter. The interesting thing is, they got it wrong some of the time. And that's okay. Because they're just like us. They're also people who by faith persevered. Those two in particular persevered to the very end. You know, tradition tells, would say to us that Paul was beheaded. He was killed for his faith. And he kept going all the way through to that point. So let's, let's look for mature Christians in our midst. They might be older, they might be younger, but look for them. Um, if you don't feel like a mature Christian and you're looking for, looking for what to do, let me just say, don't let mature Christians get away with just cruising through and enjoying their life. All right? Learn from them, imitate them, look at, what the, look at the mature Christians in, in our church and think, what are they doing? How are they living their lives? How are they reading their Bibles? How are they getting discipleship? How are they getting fellowship? Who's looking out for them? How are they doing all this stuff? Don't let them get away of doing the journey on their own. But also don't forget, at some point, they will get it wrong. All right? They will get it wrong and they'll need some grace and they'll need some mercy from you. Mature Christians here today, if you would consider yourself a mature Christian, I know anyone who would consider themselves a mature Christian would do that in humility. Um, don't forget that others need you. That you're needed in this church. Um, and uh, the example that you set is one that's watched, it's seen. You know, God loves it. He loves it. He loves it when we walk according to his, his word. Um, but also, we're watched by other people as well, those who are new in the faith, newer in the faith. Um, so the way, we, the way that you might react in different situations, people look to you to know how to act in the right way. And may that be a check for all of us. We're called to lives that are focused on Jesus and that aren't distracted by false or strange teachings. Let us remain set on the important truths of the gospel and not get caught up in distraction like the Judaizers were, these Jewish Christians who are saying it's, it's God's grace alone, but there's also this bit you have to do as well. Let us not worship different food laws, or the latest Christian fads, or the latest preachers online who are saying the most edgy stuff, or the latest rumor produced by someone on YouTube, or even worship shameful living. You know, If there's somewhere in your life you're not living in accordance with Jesus' teaching, don't rejoice in that. Don't glory in it. You, you can't sit there and go, oh, it's by grace I've been saved. I can do what I want. No, 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 no. We're, we're called to more than that. I remember a time um, years ago, I was at uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival uh, in, in, in the August, August, and uh, it's this big comedy festival up in Edinburgh. The whole city becomes like a giant venue for, for a, a month or so. And um, I remember um, I'd been doing some very silly things back at home. And uh, my home group leader at the time had messaged me. And I was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been out drinking. I've been doing this. Um, And he messaged me saying, you're you're called to more than this. I was like, nah, it's by grace I've been saved. I can do what I want. How foolish. How foolish was I. You know, if there's a way that you're not living in accordance with Jesus' teaching, don't rejoice in it, don't glory in it. Be sad, have remorse, seek forgiveness. Let us glory in Christ, and Christ alone. Because he's our passport provider. We sang a song earlier, you know, we're citizens of heaven. He is the one who's given us citizenship in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. You know, God alone is worthy of our worship, nothing else. No fads, no particular preachers or anything like that just him it's all about him you know like paul and his his readers we too eagerly await a savior from heaven not a savior from the world around us you know the savior from man has come already don't keep looking for a savior in the world around you you won't you know the next person who pops up who brings some truth that you like they're not your savior he's already come he was sent by god the man jesus christ he has been. He's come already. Don't look for a new one. He is it. He is the saviour. And he's been and he will return. You know, we await the saviour who will return in the same way as which he left. He will come in the clouds. That's the Savior's arrival that we await. And the whole world will see it. When he returns, we will know resurrection and holy perfection in our lives. We will have new bodies like his. And, and as Paul longed for. Then we will know the power, the fullness of the power of Christ in our own lives. Then we will know and experience Christ's power fully as we are made completely new. And as we await the return of our Savior, you know, we just we keep running the race, we keep going, we set our eyes firm on the prize, and we pursue that which Jesus took hold of us for—to know Him and to become more like Him. That's also the band to come back up. Please. We're going to have some time of worship and prayer. Um, And uh, there's a couple of things that sort of have stuck out to me as ways we might want to respond. Remembering who Jesus is and and, and celebrating that and worshipping is a wonderful way of doing that, um, which is why band are going to lead us in some worship shortly. But um, One thing I... I, I thought we could look at this morning would be to consider our holiness or lack of. Um, it'd be an appropriate thing to sit on for a little bit. There are ways in our lives that we're, we're not living up to the fullness of all that he's promised us or living in the freedom of that or living in line with what he would have us, how he would have us live. So it might be an appropriate thing just to sit on that for a bit. Yeah, we must remember we're justified by Jesus and that God looks upon us as though we've never done anything wrong, as though we've never sinned. You know, we have this by the grace of God. And yet we're, we're told, confess your sins to one another. And that's scary. We don't like that idea of telling someone else what we've done wrong or things we're struggling with. But we're told, confess your sins to one another. And you know, maybe that's the next step for you this morning. Maybe spend some time dwelling on where there's a lack of holy living in your life. And then tell a brother or sister that you trust and ask them to pray with you to overcome it. Um, Let us remember, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I hope there hasn't been a message of condemnation this morning. It's a message of grace. It's a message of, he's done it. Let's live live in accordance with what he's done. Um, It's not a message of condemnation, but one of exhortation. Um, Yeah, so maybe one thing we could do in prayer is to consider what we're struggling with in our lives.
0: If you feel you're Stuck on relying on something, some stuff, uh, in the hope of salvation. Any rituals that that you keep picking those burdens back up again, um, then Jesus wants you to be free of that. Um, he doesn't want you to be putting your confidence in any other things. And he, for he is gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest. Jesus's yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's done it all. He doesn't want you to add those burdens to yourselves. Take them off, take off any shackles that restrict you and just remember that he's already done it.